start off this introduction with asking a question. What is more? What is it that you're seeking to get more of, that you have an insatiable palate to get as much of something as possible? Is it to get as much money as possible? As much adulation as possible? As many followers as possible? What is it that you need more of all the time? And then you should think about why you need it. Today's conversation is with a favorite of mine, a person who I just really enjoy having deep, long conversations with, Tyler McCune. Tyler and I chop it up about this concept of more. We also talk about what we've learned uh, from the internet. We've talked about different styles of training and marketing and how we present ourselves. We talk about politics and media and a variety of things, kind of a kaleidoscope of conversations within one conversation. I urge you to have an open mind and to enjoy the conversation between both myself and Tyler McCune. Bam! Back in the place to be, man. Tyler, what's up, man? Not too much. Darian, how you doing? Good. So if you guys listened to the first time I talked to Tyler, I think the audio sound probably a little different. Now we sound like we're right next to each other. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, we thank you for being on. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, no, no problem. I was <clears throat> I was stoked to to be invited back. Oh man, we had a great conversation. I was really like amped about it. Because one, you're a very curious person, which I think is a great quality to have. And you could talk about anything, which is very cool. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks. I appreciate that. And uh, it's interesting because um, as a copywriter, like like the people who work with the best copywriters always talk about how curiosity is the number one skill. So um, mm. I appreciate you saying that. No, it's true, man. And I think your networking has grown tremendously. I mean, I don't know how many people you've sent my way in the past <laughs> since then, you know? Well, I actually learned that all from you. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm like another person from Tyler. I'm like, man, like this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I know you're gonna be talking to like Christine, and um, I'm not sure, but I know Christine is uh, really excited to talk to you. She cracked me up, Christine Lacayo, I think, or something. Is her last name? I have no name? idea how to pronounce her last name. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm terrible at names. It's okay. And uh, I talked to her like kind of a pre-interview call, and she's like, "There's no questions." There's like no <laughs> script. She's like, ah, I don't know if I can handle that. I was like, oh, you'd be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I, that's what she, she said to me. She's like, I'm nervous. And I'm like, ah, oh, Darian's like the easiest podcast ever because you're just having a conversation. Yeah, this is no stuffiness here. <laughs> like, yeah. There's no like, you know, hey, let's ask this question. And then I'm just <laughs> going to go to the next question. <laughs> well, well, no. Like, I mean, you said I was, I'm curious, but I think you're also very good at getting people to to talk and open up and explore new avenues. So I think that's a really great uh, interviewing quality to have too. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <clears throat> I just had this guy on Steve Ward, uh, Stan Ward, and I just released his episode on um, Monday and he said the same thing and him and his wife, they listened to it. They're like, that's like your thing. You get people to just be comfortable to say whatever. And I said, I don't know, I just want people to enjoy themselves and not feel inhibited, you know? Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a story from um, the copywriting community too, about this guy named Gene Shorts. And he, 
he would talk about how he would get um, like the same thing. If you're interviewing a business owner about their business or product, like to get the really deep, juicy stuff, you have to get people comfortable. And he told a story about how he was at a dinner party <laughs> and he was just getting this lady to talk and just tell her story. And then he, he like she exclaimed, and I don't even really understand this, but she's, she exclaimed like, you wouldn't believe it. My uterus is the size of my pinky uh, finger, something <laughs> like that. And he said like everyone at the table was shocked. And like the point he was trying to make is if you just get people talking and telling their story, they'll just, you know, spew crazy stuff sometimes. <laughs> people do spew crazy stuff. I've heard yeah. some of the wildest stuff on my podcast. Oh, yeah. Yet. Does anything come to mind? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm up to 125 of these things. No, 127. So, I mean, you can imagine. I've, I would say like the biggest story, like the most jarring one was this lady, uh, Courtney Wisely. And uh, her story was just so crazy to me. Like that the fact that she would even talk about it, I thought was mind blowing mm. because she... Uh, grew up in a, um, I think, I can't remember what episode it is. I think it's in the seventies, but she was telling her story and was like, she paused and she goes, are you sure you want me to tell this? I'm like, yeah. She's like, it's really disturbing. Just so you know. And I was like, uh, yeah, it's no big deal. Like it's fine. And she starts telling, you know, about, she didn't know her father growing up, her biological father, but then her biological mother told her that her biological father was in jail for murdering somebody. Wow. And then she ended up meeting him after he got out of jail and they made up. Then she went, went to live with him and his, uh, his new wife. And then he ended up murdering his new wife. Oh my God. <laughs> Crazy. And that was She's her, telling that was me her biological dad. Yeah. Yeah. The guy went to jail for murder, murdered another person. Jeez. And then she was homeless and pregnant, eight months pregnant, homeless. And she said it was a step up in life for her being homeless because of where she came. She said, I thought it was freedom actually being homeless. I was like, holy cow. Like, how do do you, how do you tell that story? You know, like. Well, I I also, I mean, it's, it's like a true gift when someone shares that stuff with you or just shares it in general, because. I think there's such a tendency to be like, oh, I'm perfect. I, I got everything figured out. And I, I really find that to be like the most genuine gift is when someone lets you in. And obviously people, sometimes people do it in ways that are like, oh, look at me. But when the people yeah. do it like really selflessly, I mean, I think it can be really powerful. Yeah. I, and I think that is what I'm hearing more often is more stories, more like, just I'm talking out there stuff, man, like just outlandish things that happen to people. And so I just kind of like enjoy letting people or just having a platform for people to do that stuff. I have a lady coming on who's uh, really interested in getting her her book out. It's called, uh, I think, Scandal in the Shadows. And it's about like the scandals in the Catholic priesthood. And like female priests and stuff. I mean, this is stuff like most people aren't going to have those type of things on their show. You know, they're too crazy. They're too politically, religiously charged. For me, I don't care. I'm just like, I want to hear what she wants. She has to say. <laughs> you yeah, know? I mean, that's like, why not? I, why not? And you know, like that saying, like sunlight is the best disinfectant or whatever. Right, right. It's like we got to start talking about these things and uh, 
yeah, man, that's 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 really cool that that you you have that platform to do that. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like you know, since you've been on, I'm just trying to explore all these things that I'm interested in or that I don't know about, mm. and having the people tell me about it. And I have a guy coming on as a filmmaker, an Oscar-nominated independent filmmaker, and he's just releasing today a premiere of his documentary on the history of fly fishing. Oh, I don't wow. know anything about that. You know, I want to talk about it, though. I'd love to hear like why he chose to document fly fishing and you know his career and film and stuff. I don't know. It's fascinating to me. You know? Yeah, I think I think one of the interesting things about those like n- those people that are super into those niche things that like I mean I don't know anyone who's in seriously into fly fishing. So <laughs> Me neither, like, man. Like the smaller the niche, like the more rabid the fans are, and so it's really interesting just to like like figure out like why are you so into this? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, anyways, that's you know, kind of the nature of my life at this point, but I'm happy to have you back on. And I'm curious how your networking has been since we talked. I know that's something you were very interested in. Yeah, man. I've been meeting like so many new cool people. And, um, I really think like, like I've always been fine not having a huge group of friends. Like I've always been more of a kind of a one-on-one or like in a small groups kind of a person, Mm-hmm. But I also saw how it was hurting me in a lot of ways because I would have friends who had huge networks and they were like always, um, I don't know, they would just like like get invited to the coolest parties or like they would need a ride and it was really easy for them just to figure all that stuff out. And then when it, really when I started getting into business, I realized how much it was hurting me not to network. Um, and so like the last, well, I guess it was what, like five or six months ago we talked? Yeah. And yeah, since then, like I've been really just focusing on networking. Like, like I said, just kind of following what you do. Like if I meet someone new and I'm like, Oh, Darian, this would be a good person to introduce, just introduce them. Cause it's so easy and people get so stoked on it. And yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of good stuff happen, like growing my list, getting leads, like all sorts of positives. And like the, the thing that I've noticed, and I, I've heard this from a lot of people is like, you can't do it expecting something in return. You just have to do it because it's helpful for other people. And, you know, it just, it does make me happy too, to help people out, but it's really crazy. It's, it's sort of like, um, there's, there's a saying where it's like, you, you, you can't expect heat to come out of the fire until you put wood in the stove. And it's kind of like that idea to me. Yeah, totally. I love that saying. That's really cool. It's yeah. I'm, I'm interested has there been a downside to it for you doing it? Well, that's a that's an interesting question. I mean, I guess the, the only downside is is sometimes uh, like try to introduce people and they like one person won't respond or something, and it's <laughs> kind of like weird, you know. <laughs> like I'll be like, "Hey, you want to meet this person?" Yeah, then I'll like hook him up, and I don't know that, that feels weird. But I mean, honestly, I haven't really noticed any downside. I think it's, I think it's one of like the best skills you can learn. In fact. Yeah, I would say that's the downside too. Was, I asked you that because I was like, I wonder what he thinks of this because in my my time doing it for a really long time is like, it's semi-annoying. Like if you're like, somebody tells you they want to network and they want, yeah, I'll introduce me, blah, blah. And then you connect them and then like, it's just like emptiness. I'm like, wait a minute. Like what happened? Like, why didn't you even get back to the person? <laughs> you know, type of thing. You know, everybody, people have different things going on, but 
uh, it's definitely an interesting observation. Well, one of the cool things is because because you've introduced me to quite a different uh, quite a lot of people, and then obviously like those people will be introduced to each other. So it kind of creates this like web. So instead of just me knowing someone. Um, like, like Michelle Zellner, like I'll see mm-hmm. her post and someone likes that you also introduced me to. So it's kind of like creates this little community where everyone kind of knows each other. And I mean, it kind of replicates like an online, uh, I hate when people say like build your tribe, but it like, like a, uh, like a community, <laughs> you know, it's like an online community in a real way rather than just like a bunch of single <clears throat> singular connections. What is it about the, uh, when when somebody says an online tribe, what what do you not what do you not like about that? Well, I think the main thing is just that everyone uses it, and I'm kind of <laughs> like a contrarian, and so if everyone uses the same thing, but um, I, it's, it's a good question. I I don't know. I, I think it's just because I I hear it so much. Yeah, it could be a thing. You know, it's just you know when people catch on to a word and they just keep saying it all the time, like build my tribe, build my yeah, tribe, exactly. you know, it's like, I want my people, I want to build my tribe, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, it's like, I look at it as kind of, you're building a network within a network mm. inside of it. So like this podcast is its own social network. That's why I named it yeah. my social, because it's all the people I meet. And then it becomes all the people that meet each other from being guests on the show. And then it's this, it's almost like all these subgroups within groups now. And then there's people like, like Michelle Zellner and Michelle Collins and Carolyn Brunson who are now like, they're tight friends. They're like super tight friends now. Yeah. I think they were even, they were telling me that they're all going to like meet. Well, I guess uh, yeah. COVID put a stop to that, but they were planning yeah. on like flying out to see each other. How crazy is that off of a podcast? Yeah. No, you know, like that's insane. That's but so they created a subgroup. And then I know other people who have created a subgroup or people that I've connected. And then they connected with each other on late night phone calls about their divorces and, and helping each other get through that. And it's like these, like you said, the web, it's just creates these, this network that creates, it burrows underground into becoming this, this root system that becomes very strong if you build it properly you know, with it. That makes sense. It's it's almost like the fly fishing thing too. Like fly fishing is a sub niche and like the fishing niche, which is a sub niche and like the outdoors thing. Yeah. So it kind of uh, matches that structure in a way. Yeah. it's And it's, it's always been my strategy. I mean, it's very purposeful for me in general. It's like create a platform uh, from scratch, um, be consistent over time, over a long period of time, do not expect a specific result from it and watch it flourish, watch it grow and see what happens. And a lot of what happens, I don't even know what happens. <laughs> like, you know, these just like people are doing stuff behind my back. I have no clue what's going on in a good way. You know, <laughs> like they're developing all these beautiful friendships and positive um, role model relationships. And uh, I think that is what's nice about networking. If you're doing it to just breed beautiful human connections and relationships, you're going to get a lot out of it. It may not be what you want. Like if you're going into it for money, that you're not going to get a lot out of it if that's the case for it. You know, it's really more about like human connection, the spirit of people, being an example of goodness to other people, and just the mystery of what can happen when you behave in this way, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, that's all that stuff is like way more, uh, let's say like, like 
fundamental than making money or, or being successful or whatever. So it's cool because that's kind of going back to like the roots of humanity, not to be too uh, <laughs> woo-woo or anything. Well, I think that uh, in many ways, I love technology. I'll preface this. I love technology. I enjoy science. I enjoy uh, hypotheses and all these different things, but I also enjoy the mystery of life and the spirituality of life and the um, the breaking of laws of life and, and different realms. And I'm open to all different things in that sense. And I think one of the things that just me personally is we've kind of lost a little bit of our humanity on some level. I feel like we talk to each other with a very specific purpose. Look at my video for 30 seconds, you know, check out this gel that I have. <laughs> it's going to change your life. You know, I'm like, how about we just talk? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it's like, we forgot that. It's interesting though. Like the people, at least from what I see that are really killing it. And like the, the marketing space are, mm -hmm. are doing what you just said is like focusing on building the relationship first. Like one, one thing that I heard, from a really famous copywriter is he said, um, like he was like, I'm going to go, I'm going out to buy a car today, but I'm not shopping for a car. First, I'm shopping for a salesman. And the idea there is like, you want a relationship with that person before you, yeah. you know, you buy the thing. Like it's more important to have that connection first. So I think, I think there is going to be a shift back towards that in the future or like, like there is like, we're already shifting there. I'll tell you a good example of it. We're going to be replacing the fence at my house in my backyard. We got a big backyard, big fence. It's old. When we bought it, it was already old. And uh, the house. And so we've had like five, six uh, companies come through. And my wife's really heading it up. But we've talked about that. Obviously, we want somebody as good at, you know, doing fencing and stuff. But our ultimate choice is going to come down to who we like the most mm -hmm. as a human being. <laughs> That's it. And that's very counterculture. It's like, oh, this guy's built like 25 fences last month or something. <laughs> like, there's no metrics on that. I expect that to be done well. And I, you know, obviously we'll look into that. But like, who makes me feel good? Who is gentle? Who is understanding? It's kind, realistic, accountable. It's not going to try to gouge me. You know, uh, It's not a slickster. And that's how I do business with anybody. I want to feel good about the person that I'm working with or the people that I'm, if I send somebody to you, Tyler, to say, oh, you should meet Tyler. I really like that person. Like, I really like that person. I've talked to them. I think you would gain a lot out of it. It's just not like, hey, here you go. Right. Another person, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, um, well, I also, as a copywriter, we're always trying to dig deeper into like, why do people make the decisions they make? Because part of my job is influencing people to make decisions to buy the, whatever product I'm selling. And obviously I only sell stuff that I actually think will benefit people and sell it to people who will benefit from it. But really when you like dig deep into anyone's decision-making, um, this goes back to what you said about like making people feel good is we buy stuff to feel better about ourselves. And there's a huge negative to that. I mean, I study Buddhism and, and I understand mm -hmm. the, the downside of that kind of material mindset. But at the end of the day, if, if you take that angle in your, your sales, marketing, business, relationships, whatever, like we really do make decisions based on feeling better and feeling better about ourselves. So I, I think like you're, you're hitting on something really deep there. Oh, thanks, man. I, um, I think it's an evolution, man. And in, in my life over time, I, Definitely wasn't like this a long time ago. <laughs> it just, you know, you grow as a person. 
Um, I wanted to ask you though, what's been the most surprising thing about kind of your change in networking and what you're doing? Hmm. That's a good question, man. Well, one thing that's really surprising is just how stoked people get when you, when you make connections and stuff like Christine, uh, I've sent her a lot of connections cause she was asking me like, Oh, I'm trying to get on podcasts and stuff. And like, every time I talk to her, she's just like, Oh my God, you're the king of connections. Like, thank you so much. <laughs> and I'm like, it's like the easiest thing I could do. Like I literally just write an email. Um, yeah. So I think that would might be the most surprising is just how stoked it makes people for such a small, you know, cost quote unquote. Why do you think that is? I think it goes, why are they so stoked? Well, I think it goes back to like wanting to feel good about yourself and wanting other people to to value you and feel important. You know, that goes back to um again being in the tribe or being kicked out of the tribe, which is one of humans like biggest fears. And I think when you say, "Hey, Christine, I want to introduce you to someone." It it just says like, "I think you're valuable. I care about you as a person. I want to help you." And that's that means way more than whatever the outcome of that meeting is. Do you think they're, do you think they're also stoked? I mean, I don't know. I'm just asking your opinion. Do you think they're stoked because it's just not being done that much? That's actually a really good point. Yeah. It's, it's novel. Yes. Isn't that weird? Everyone. I don't know. I find that weird. Yeah. It's crazy because everyone's hitting you up on LinkedIn. Like, Hey man, I got a, I got a way you can make $60,000 over the next week. And I was like, (laughs) uh, okay. Actually, so um, I joined this group, uh, Titans Accelerator. Um, it, it's ran by Brian Kurtz, who's like one of the biggest direct response in the industry. Uh, he has a book called Over Delivered, like really, really good book. And one of his main things is like networking. And he in his book, he tells so many stories about how. Um, so, for example, he was a list broker. And I, I won't go into like all the details, but all the other list brokers were just talking to the people they they bought and sold from. And he was like, well, I want to fi- talk to other list brokers to figure out how they're doing what they're doing. So he would just um, and, you know, it was like a, it was like a cost of his time because he wasn't making direct money directly from it. But after doing that for like months and, and years, he built a huge network of people who wanted to refer work to him. He learned secrets that no one else knew because he was talking to everyone and he helped his business grow like way big and it became one of the biggest in the industries. And um, I don't know, he's just all about like I've learned a lot just from observing him because he's all about like fishing without bait or fishing without a hook and just giving, giving, mm. giving and expect and eventually it'll come back in return. And I think it's hard to do that, especially if you're like struggling. But I yeah. think after you see so many people, they went through that process and they ended up better for it. It's just like it's silly not to start investing now in that social capital, so to speak, and not doing it for the outcome, but doing it because it's helpful. Feels part of the reason why I think it's not done a lot is it, it feels very counterculture to um, we're being pushed a lot about making sales all the time. And how can I make money? How I want to make money. And so you know, you got these organizations who basically teach their employees or whatever scripts and they take that script and they go build this huge network on LinkedIn and just send out that script to every single person, Mm -hmm. collect a bunch of no's, you know, (laughs) that whole term, like just collect a bunch, be a no collector, you know? And I'm like, I don't know, man, I'd rather just know a a few people really well and enjoy that, you know, like, I'm not looking for no's, man. I'm looking for quality relationships, yeah. you know, and 
And I think some we're at an impasse where it's like people, you know, obviously I'm not anti making money. I want, I like money like anybody else, you know, like it's fun to make money. Honestly, it is fun to make money, but I have learned in my life that I've made a lot more money like this. And I felt better about myself doing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I, I actually um, made that mistake when I first went on LinkedIn was I was like, people were like, oh, you have to have 500 connections or else, you know, whatever, like the algorithm doesn't like you. And so I was like, oh, I got to build myself <laughs> up to 500 connections. It would just like mass connect people. It, it was, it felt like kind of dirty. And also I wasn't like, <laughs> seeing a boost in engagement. So I literally went through and deleted like 400 of my contacts that I just didn't talk to, or they didn't reply to my message or whatever. And honestly, my engagement went up. So even though I had like less than half of the contacts, like because I had built a relationship with those people and all the people who like and comment and share are people I've built relationships with. So it's so true. You're better off going a mile deep with a few people than going a mile wide and not, not building those, those really. Why do you think we're told like we need to have all these connections or followers? Well, the, I mean, the 500 thing on LinkedIn is like something to do with the algorithm, but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I think it's this minds, this like endless growth mindset and it, with business, it's like, oh, I need more customers. And truly like, I mean, I study like the, the smartest business people alive and all of them don't worry as much about getting new customers as they do about serving the customers they have so that they'll be with them for decades um, buying their products. You know, like, like I, I think it's just people don't really understand how it works. <laughs> it's, probably an, it's an ego thing too, I'm sure. And in what way? What do you think in an ego way? I'm just curious. That's all. Well, I think there's like, like I saw, I saw, I actually got back on Facebook because I wanted to to join this private group I got invited to. Tyler, how dare you? I know. <laughs> it's, it's been weird, honestly, but actually I have cool people there too. So it's, it's got some positives. Yeah. But um, I saw this, this ad and the guy was saying like, I can help you get to 300,000 YouTube followers and whatever, like a month or whatever. And someone commented, he was like, yeah, but you only get a thousand views per video. And um, I don't know, there's just something about those big numbers that seems impressive, even though it's it's ultimately meaningless. I like that, the concept of like, not liking it, but like endless growth. I, I feel like that's kind of what we're socialized into. Like, that's what I was saying, like more sales, get more, do more, become more, like, you know, just keep pushing, become wealthy. I think you told me that story about the guy who like capped his uh, yeah, salary. Souza, yeah. 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 I found that so amazing because I never heard of it before. I never heard of a dude saying, I'm not going to make more than this much. Right. And then after I'm just not going to do it. What's the point basically, well, you know, like, and the, and the cool thing about him is, is he talked like he, he talks about that. And I think part of the, honestly, part of the reason he does that is because it's, it's actually good for his positioning. Like it's getting us talking yeah. about him right now, but like, <laughs> he said was he was like it's not like i'm gonna stop working on my business so even though i hit my um you know the, the revenue i need for this year what he says is he just goes back and he makes his products better so that it better serves his customers so instead of you know spending his time and money getting new customers to make more money he's just making what he's already doing better and then that gets into more of like an area of of like i don't know what i want to say like 
like I've been doing a lot of handstands and practicing handstands. And at a certain point you can do the handstand, but and everyone's like, Oh, it looks great. But then you're always making it a little bit straighter. And it's almost like an internal mm-hmm. thing where you don't even, people won't even notice that you're straighter, but like, like you're just, you're just doing these tiny little touches and it's, it's not for anyone else. It's just for you <laughs> to get better. That yeah. makes sense. And I think that internal drive is, is really missing in a lot of people. We're so like, um, you know, cultured to, to have external rewards and, and, and be, um, motivated by those. Yeah, I think you're right. And the whole concept of, you know, taking your current customers or clients, whatever, and serving them better and having long-term relationships, that's been my entire business, my entire training business, uh, consulting management business, um, my philosophy. I mean, like with my training business, I, I have several clients well over a decade, a decade that I've been working with, one that we're coming up on 14 years working together. And I'm not trying to get a ton of people. I don't actively try to get a lot of people. I don't. And one, because I don't think that I could handle it. I don't think that I would be very good if I had like just crazy amounts of clients. You know, I feel like we over we overvalue how well we could do with a lot of people. Like we think we're like, oh man, I'm going to have tons and tons of clients and like not recognizing that you probably can't serve all those people very well if you're stretched thin, you know? So is try to focus on building good human personal relationships with people over a long period of time. And that creates more job security, in my opinion, and, and a longer, uh, uh, a continuous sales cycle of the same people which is very valuable. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's honestly probably better for you and your client, because if you think after 14 years, I mean, you know, their business as well as they do at this point. And you're, you're, I'm guessing that you're, um, indispensable, you know, like they're not like, if they got rid of you, you're, you're irreplaceable basically. So even though it's, 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 it's weird how like what's good for them is also good for you is good for everyone and how that almost always matches up. It's weird. That's true. And I always think when I've, when I feel like I've done at least a good job, I've done it right, is when they tell me, and it's weird to hear this, when a client says, when are you going to retire from this? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I can retire when I'm like 65 at some down the line, 25 years or so from now, like, like, do you, like they're, I could tell they're wanting to see, is this going to stop? Yeah, they don't want it you to. You know, like. They don't want it to stop. And then then they come out and they'll say, well, as long as you're willing to continue to work, I would like this to be forever, a long-term thing. Like to have a a paid customer tell you, I will keep doing this for as long as you are living. Right. And you're like, that is powerful. And there's a lot of weight to that sometimes. For me, I'm like, whoa. I mean, like, wow. (laughs) Kind of gets into the law of the, the jungle where, you know, you you chase what runs away from you you know like the prey runs mm. away you chase after yeah. it and so it's almost like you got them chasing you <laughs> you know what i mean it's a strange position to be in because i've you know i have like this group of of 10 people and they've all said it to me and they've all been with me forever i mean i've seen their kids grow up go to college the whole thing you know we spent a lot of dinners together and things of that nature and it, it's still it's just strange to hear it you know, like, and I told my wife, I'd be like, you know, these are wonderful people, 
But it is kind of weird to hear like, hey, it's kind of up to you. Like, this is as long as you want to do it. I'm like, it's usually not like that. It's usually the tables are flipped the other side. You know, the consumer is like, oh, I'll just keep doing this till I feel like right. it. You know, like, it's it's a strange feeling is what I mean. It almost, it also matches up more to like real life, I guess. That's not the best way mm. to say it. But like, if you think of a relationship, I mean, ideally, both people in the relationship want to continue. And then, and then, you know, they both want to end it. But like, I think business and the way we're running, we've ran our society and culture for so long has been very artificial in, in certain ways. And I see, especially with this whole COVID thing, I think people are starting to realize like how weird it is that you go to work for 40 hours a week and then you come home and see your kids. And I actually wrote an email about this on uh, Sunday, just a few days ago. And someone responded to me and he was like, yeah, man, like, you know, I've really had a wake up call, like having to stay home with my wife and kids and spend like quality time with them and, and cook and play together. And even though, I mean, like the whole COVID thing has been really, really rough for a lot of people, I think it is kind of waking us up to like, you know, like what is really important? Is it important to add another zero to your, um, you know, your revenue? Um, I mean, maybe, but you know, it's probably more important to go, you know, visit your grandma or, or see your grandkids grow up or, or whatever. And, and so, I don't know, I think there is going to be a shift to back towards a more natural, you know, society. Well, yeah, I think there's obviously, you know, I'm the type of person, like I, I never want to downplay the severity of something and people losing their lives. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. It's, it's horrible if somebody, you know, close to somebody, you know, anytime you lose somebody, anytime, no matter what it is, it's, it's jarring. It's very difficult to handle. Um, but in many instances in life, there are lessons to be learned. And it's just whether, whether we're willing to learn them. And like one, I think is we got to stop sending people on business trips, like across the country for one day. And then bringing them back is completely irresponsible. It just doesn't make sense, too. It's just stupid. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, the money spent, the things you could get done on a conference call, you know, you're sitting, you know, for an hour meeting, two hour meeting. Like, it feels like now maybe we're a more heightened sense of like, yeah, that's not a good idea. <laughs> like, I saw it. We probably shouldn't be doing I, that. I saw a meme when like they first started shutting everything down and it was like um it said I guess we now we know all the or I guess we now see all the meetings that really could have just been emails. <laughs> and like apparently a lot of companies like my sister um like she says she's going to be working at home at least for the rest of the year. So yeah. It just it doesn't make sense to me for everyone to go into a building when you know you can do like I work entirely from home. I think you do too, or most. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. It it doesn't like I can like I saw that Twitter and Square that they're allowing their employees to work from home permanently now, and I'm sitting there thinking of both these companies. I'm like, why were they going into an office? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> I mean, you're on a computer all day. Yeah, so <laughs> basically, it's crazy. Like, why? Like, do you really need to pay that rent or whatever, or lease in San Francisco or whatever? Maybe they own it. Who knows? But you know, it's like I think we're just maybe it's accelerating. Like, why were we doing that? Yeah, <laughs> you I, know? Think, I think like you know we were doing certain things just based off momentum, and even though 
this has been really rough for a lot of people. Like, at least the silver lining is it's kind of jarring our momentum, and maybe we'll we'll move in a better direction with some of these things. What do you see that you? What do you want to see happen that are uh, potentially good things that you want to see happen for society in the future from this? Well, um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna segue into answering your question. But one of the very interesting things that I noticed, like when this first started happening, was seeing how fast it spread from like China to Europe to America and all over. And one of the things, even though I, you know, obviously we're all interconnected, you and I are whatever, 3000 miles away and mm-hmm. talking and, um, you know, I can be in, well, not right now, but you, you could be in China in 20 hours or whatever, but like just seeing how interconnected we all were and how humans are moving from place to place so quickly. I, I hope it'll wake people up to see like, you know, China, if they do something, it'll affect the whole globe. Or if America does something, it affects everyone. So I'm hoping to see a little bit more interconnection or or, or our acknowledgement of interconnection and how like, I can't really do anything without it affecting you. I mean, in a small sense, yes. But, you know, if if, um, like California has very strict laws on pollution, whereas Nevada doesn't. So Right. It, I mean, it makes sense because California is way more populated. I'm not making like a political argument here, but I'm just saying like Nevada's pollution affects California or affects anywhere else. So I hope to see an awakening on that. Yeah, I mean, I I think we're learning a lot on that level, especially um, environmentally. It's crazy. Like, I think we were thinking like, the planet would need like tons and tons of time to heal right. and get back. And, and all of a sudden it was like, I'm on. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Nature is so fast. The adaptation, the change is so incredible. What happens when we allow it to be what it's supposed to be? And it just, it just blossoms back like in record time. It, that's, that's been really fascinating for me to see. Well, see, I've always been kind of that, like, I, like, because I, I, I mean, I haven't studied, I'm not like an ecologist or anything, but I, I know a little bit about ecology and like how microorganisms work and how they, you know, they kind of eat every, all the food source. And as they're eating the food source, they like produce, um, you know, like, like whatever poop, poop and pee, whatever that yeah. for microbes. And that basically toxic makes it toxic to them. And so they start dying off, but then another microbe takes over and eats whatever their byproduct was. And it's just kind of like this endless cycle of, toxification um i mean at one point oxygen was a you know a poison on earth because there wasn't uh, mushrooms to break down carbon dioxide and put it into the atmosphere but um yeah i think you're right like i, I think this is it's kind of like a wake-up call like the, the environment doesn't really care about us humans like <laughs> once we're gone it'll <laughs> it'll bounce back pretty quickly i think yeah actually i was just listening to uh, a very interesting talk about this the other day it's a scientist, uh, a doctor who is interesting enough. He's a health, he's a hospice care worker and uh, endocrinologist. I was like, wow, that's crazy. And uh, and he was talking about the power of nature and how you know before us and after us, it it will continue to do its thing. You know, and he he's he was again. These are his words of saying he basically thinks the sixth extinction is or is humans. Humanity is the destructor of like we do things to the environment that we're causing a lot of destruction as a total species. I mean, it was very interesting. Just a lot of things he was talking about, you know? Yeah. I mean, I I think 
like I, I don't want to you know go down a whole rabbit hole here and, and get into politics or anything but like i think whether or not you believe in global warming i think it's actually the wrong thing to focus on because we're all like yeah. debating these things like i don't know how the fucking you know carbon dioxide works in yeah. the atmosphere like i, I like either, trees man. breathe carbon dioxide like I, I don't understand that whole thing but it's it's very easy to see um you know like the rainforest be, being cut down or yeah you know um like the rivers being polluted like california apparently is sinking because we're taking so much groundwater and so i think it's crazy that we're focusing on global warming not i'm not saying i you know it's wrong or whatever i'm just saying like it seems a weird villain when there's like you know you walk down downtown san diego and there's just trash and shit everywhere yeah yeah I think it's weird, like it's become, well, you know, it's interesting that, you know, you said, I don't want to make it a political thing. And I, and you know, you can say anything you want on here. <laughs> you can, I know you literally can, you know, me, I pride myself in being a person like, I'm not going to get heated about anything anybody says or whether I agree or disagree. I'm just curious about what people think, you know, and how people, and I think part for me, that's been part of my evolution as a person is be able to speak about anything and not be, not let this weird, emotional, crazy, you know, person like explode <laughs> through the screen or something. And I'm like, everybody has different opinions, but I think in many ways we've made kind of global warming, this political by, you know, uh, two party thing, you know, we've made it a political argument versus we're just humans. Like we should take care of the thing we have <laughs> together. Like this is our existence for every human for that. But yeah, there's like, you know, it's dirty in this town. How about we pick up the trash and stuff, you know? Like, yeah. How about we clean up? There's people throwing disgusting things all over. There's there's bottles and cans on the ground and stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean... Can we clean that up? Well, I was in... um, San, I was actually in San Diego. Like, I went to, like, a, a conference. Like, pretty much the day... Like, like, the last day of the conference was the day that the schools got shut down in San Diego. So it was, like, right before yeah. everything went crazy with COVID. And I was just, I haven't been in the city for a while because I live like an hour north in a small town. And I was just shocked at how many homeless people were there. Um, mm. Like just all over. And I mean, I'm not like, I don't have anything against homeless people. It's just, yeah, it's just like, it, it seems like an easier problem to solve if we just focused on it. But like, 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 and to go back to what you asked um, about, like, what do I hope was going to change? I mean, everyone's all talking about, like, I want to watch my football. And it's like, dude, go play some football. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, I just don't understand this, like, entitlement. Like, oh, I'm, I'm angry that I don't, you know, get to do my routine. Yeah. But like, if, if I, I stopped watching the Super Bowl in college, because I had like an, uh, like a vision. And I was like, man, if everyone in America put this much effort towards ending homelessness, as we do the Super Bowl, like it would be gone overnight. I don't know if that's true, but that was the feeling I had. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, I just can't, like, I'm not judging anyone for watching sports. Yeah, of course. But like, I was just like, man, like, I, I don't think I can put energy into this anymore. <laughs> well, I boycotted the Super Bowl a couple of times because the New England Patriots ran it, but that's a whole different <laughs> uh, conversation. Okay. That was my sports fanaticism. Are you, <laughs> but, are you a sports fan? Oh, a huge sports fan. But. I don't feel like I'm missing it hmm. a lot. I mean, I've, I've, I was a collegiate athlete. I love, love, love NFL football. I like NBA basketball, but I, honestly, I don't really care that much. I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's, I've been fine. <laughs> you know, people, I can't watch sports. I'm dying. I'm like, and I think it's just kind of like, 
it's what you know people's outlets are it's what they really care about it's what they've made like a huge part of their life and for me i'm just like what's well, good to have curiosity about several things not just sports right you know it's like and for me it's like yes i do miss it but like geez it's not like i miss my kid or something <laughs> i mean it's not like that important i mean geez it's like not my wife like my wife's on some stranded desert island and i can't see her for four years i mean what? it's just a game a bunch of dudes tackling each other <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I mean, think about it. You got five guys trying to put a leather ball through a hoop. I mean, come on. It's not that crazy. Well, <laughs> it, it, well I think it's interesting because like you, you said, you you played sports. You have like a different connection. But I, yeah. I'm also thinking of like, uh, like, you know, like the, the middle aged dude um, with a with a beer belly drinking <laughs> on Sunday and eating nachos. But like, it's weird how political sports is. And I don't mean political like Democrat, Republican, but. Yeah. It's like in group out group. Like I used to, I used to be a big Chargers fan, and, and we, hit, my dad, um, in high school, he, he got season tickets, and we, we'd go like most Sundays. And yeah. I was, I think I was like fourteen when this happened. We beat the Raiders, and I was like, "Hey, good game," or something to a Raiders fan. And apparently, I don't even remember this, but apparently, he followed us to our car, like screaming at me. Oh my! God. I was like fourteen, and so, and and when the the Raiders and Chargers played, like they have um you know like police and like holding cells to arrest people when the when they played they would have to bring in like trailers to house all the people they'd arrest because there were so many what yeah and i i saw fights happen like i saw people get kicked out of the stadium like it's so weird how like you're not even on the field like like you didn't practice you know i don't know (laughs) i I really can't understand it you know like people say you know they start using the word we like they're on the team. Right. Well, we didn't play well this week, you know, and we got to do better. We got to block better. You know, that guy needs to do more. And I'm just always like, man, I just is like, I think it kind of goes back to, I mean, this is kind of a transition, but I think you'll think it's interesting. Is like what we find our identity mm-hmm. in, in life. And it's kind of like I was in um, a pretty interesting conversation about uh, nutrition with somebody and talking about how like uh, different diets, current diets and stuff like carnivore diet and plant-based diet, ketogenic and all that stuff. And how you have to be very careful um, in how you approach that stuff because it can become your dogma. Mm-hmm. It be- you can become like a vegetarian, I, whatever. I don't care. You know, I'm just saying like you may define yourself as being vegetarian as a human. So then you defend it ferociously because everything about your existence, who you hang out with, how you perceive yourself in the world, you know, how you eat, how you socialize becomes centered around your diet. And I think that's kind of what happens with sports and, and fanaticism is like the guy who was like painting his face <laughs> and yelling at the top of his lungs, you know, you piece of shit play. And I was like, more than likely, I don't know, but I'm guessing that's probably like defines his life on a general basis, you know? And I think it's dangerous to have that, you know? Uh, I, I, that's a really good point, man. I think, I think you nailed it. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, I think that actually goes back to the, all the whole political thing or even uh, global warming or whatever is people identify like, Oh, I identify as a, a Republican or I identify as an uh, ecologically <laughs> wise person or whatever. And, Honestly, I don't think we can get past our identifications, but I think 
we just have to recognize that we're acting out of these identifications because otherwise they can they can cause us to do some pretty nutty things. Well, yeah. I mean, everybody identifies on some level with something, I think. And it's just that like when that identification basically ostracize you ostracize yourself or other people try to ostracize you from society mm-hmm. for it, you know, or it's so far fringy, you know, like it's just like nobody can relate to you because you're it's like so out there or something, you know. Like the it's, fly fishing guy be like, Oh, I can't talk to you. You don't <laughs> you don't you don't sling rods. You know, I mean I think this documentary, they're out in like way out in the woods and stuff. And, you know, they're got those waders and stuff and they're out fly. And I, I see it. I like going to Montana and I, I see the fly fishers all the time on way to Yellowstone. And I look at that and I'm like, no one in their life has ever asked me or intimated to me that I should try that. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I, I've, I've done fly fishing. It's tough. It sounds tough. Yeah. It sounds like it would be tough, you know, like, but it's not like. It's not something I grew up with. It's not something anybody ever like said, you should try that, you know, but it's also something that I don't want to close my mind off it to it either. But it's also fun thing that I'm sure there's a bunch of people who do it. Like that's like their life, you know, they love fly fishing. Well, I think a big part of that identification too, is finding your group. So like, um, like I'm sure what, since you, you, you're really deep into fitness, you probably have a certain lingo that maybe like the average bear wouldn't understand. So then you meet someone and they start using that language and you're like, Hey man, like, like I got you. Like, like, it's like you found your people, you know what I mean? So I think they're, everyone wants to be part of a group. I mean, again, it goes back to, you know, ancient humans, but also we all went to high school and so we've, (laughs) left out and that's a huge thing and honestly that's probably part of the whole making introductions for people and stoking them out is like oh wow you're inviting me into your group yeah i think there's some level of that it's and just sometimes there are things like i the one thing that does kind of get me all rolled up is kind of just you know our two-party system and people's assumptions of people related to that. Actually, my wife was telling me about this amazing podcast. I think it was on NPR, and it was the history of the Electoral College, which I think is not very well understood by most Americans. It really isn't, and the history of it is mind-blowing, mind-blowing about it. You got to listen to this if you're in- anywhere interested. Yeah, in that, that sounds that sounds interesting because I was thinking, was, I was like, I don't I don't know much about it either. <laughs> I didn't know much about it. I knew a decent amount. And then I listened to it and my wife was breaking down and I said, holy cow, that's amazing. This stuff you don't know if you don't allow yourself to like hear it. And so it was just very like going down the line about what, how it was formed, how it was created, how there's really no constitutional basis for it. It's just a lot of, a lot of stuff you think would be like, oh, this is why we do this and stuff, you know, and, and how that you know, was never meant to create basically a winner take all system. And it's just, we're like, Hey, this basically in a sense that like in a state like California, okay. California is everybody knows it's a blue state, right? It's a blue state. It's going to be blue pretty much no matter what. It's going to very democratic, liberal leaning type of thing. Washington's the same way, same way. So basically when you're voting, Essentially, you already know what the outcome is going to be in your state for where it's going to lean. And it was basically saying that 
when you have an electoral college, it takes away like there's hundreds of thousands and thousands of Republicans in California. You would never know that for what the media tells you or, <laughs> you know, like that it's just blue. And the same thing in a very red state. There's hundreds of thousands of Democrats in a red state, but it's a red state based off of the, you know, electoral college. So it's just basically saying, like, if you took it away, you would actually have a better representation. Everybody's vote would count more Mm -hmm. because they wouldn't they wouldn't mail it in and be like, well, you know, I'm in Washington State and Oregon and California. You know what that's going to be. You already know the outcome. Yeah, there's no point. You know? Like seriously, when if you vote in the 2020 election and you're in one of our states, it's gonna be blue, pretty much, you know, unless something, an earthquake hits the voting system, it's gonna be blue, you know. Right. And 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 a state like Montana, which is crazy red, is going to be red. So it's just it's just interesting, like the things in life you don't know about, and when you start learning the history of it. And the identity of like red versus blue, it could start, you really start thinking more critically, like, why, why is this like this? You know, like, what's the history of this? Why are we, why are we still adhering to something like this all these years later, but then we can have a person re-enter the atmosphere at so many miles per hour and they can land on a, on a hell what I'm like, what's our priority? You know, I I mean that 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 is a really good and interesting point, and I actually think there's maybe another dimension to it, which is our perception of the history isn't necessarily accurate. So there's you know who Dan Carlin is, um, hardcore history. Yeah, all right, I love mm-hmm. Dan Carlin. I think he's like great. Like calling it a podcast is just like it, it undersells <laughs> it because it's like a you know it's like a whole documentary series but um his most recent one is about like imperial japan and one of the things he talked about was how they took the idea of the samurai and they made it way more gnarly and intense than it was so like you know the idea of samurai committing harry like suicide if he was or stuff he said a lot of that um and you you know obviously there's debates this is why history is so interesting is like like people act like history is a fact but it's not but a lot of people believe that it wasn't as intense as they made it sound and they basically weaponized the history to um inspire japan and like i guess that would have been like the you know like the early um, 1900s to to fight for japan and and become imperial and stuff like that and i actually this, this will get this is to make it political, but I actually find the same thing to be true of the second amendment and like the gun rights. And I'm not necessarily against people owning guns, but I, my understanding of the second amendment from reading it and like reading a little bit about the history, it doesn't say that like me, I'm allowed to own any gun I want. That's, that's not what the second amendment says. So it's crazy how it's like been weaponized as this history when it's not, I don't think that's true. Right. Right. I don't think we have a good understanding of things. All the times I think we kind of get told something and then that's what we do. And I think sometimes the reality of those things gets distorted. I heard something I think was really interesting and I I think it could be semi-controversial. I'm not saying it to try to make it controversial, but I think in the time we live, it could kind of make some sense. But basically it's kind of like if a lie goes unchallenged, it eventually becomes a truth that you live your whole life on mm-hmm. type of thing. And sometimes 
you're 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 into something that's actually not true or that you know history says this happened and it didn't and you base your whole belief of that thing on that you know and so i i think it's it's a weird time we're in with like you know fake news and all these weird things and deep fakes and crazy stuff like that that it's it's good to have a discerning uh viewpoint of things and like you know listen be open to listen and then have a healthy questioning of things i think that's a good thing you know yeah there's there's this um this buddhist monk uh, a zen monk um that i i i I really like and he does like a a sunday talk on youtube that i i try to catch most sundays and something he says a lot is like you know is there seven and a half billion people in the world because people like latch on to these numbers and statistics or even historical facts but it's like who who counted all the people and and the point isn't whether or not there's seven and a half billion people in the world it's just that people tend to buy into them and i think we're seeing this a lot with covid right now because i my brother sent me an article the other day that said there's only been six covid deaths in san diego county and then another article mm-hmm. will say you know there's been hundreds so it's like we don't you know who who do you really believe and depending on who you believe will massively skew your view of reality. And so I, I personally just take like, at least with COVID, I mean, I kind of take like, I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't really know what's the truth. Um, and I, it's tricky because it's like, well, how do you act? But at least with COVID, it's like, well, it doesn't really, you know, I still, I'm just careful. D- does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think it's a good point of view to have because I think, uh, even, you know, all the scientists and things of that nature and people working closely on these things. I don't think they know either mm-hmm. everything. I think they're learning any disease or pathology process that, um, maybe you haven't encountered before you're learning. You're, you, I mean, the first time I went to Las Vegas, I learned I shouldn't blow all my money there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a good, you know, I mean, I went back and then I was better and then I went back and then I moved there and then I didn't blow all my money at, you know, when I was going to, you know, gamble and stuff. Like you don't know until you have are exposed to something over and over again and you just start learning the intricacies and things of that nature. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, that's a terrible reference I made, honestly, probably analogy, but oh, good. you know, like when I lived in Vegas, I would not get trapped by the trappings that tourists would get. You know, I'd like, oh, go to this place, park here, go that, because I learned, I knew how to navigate the strip in a way that was native to me because I had learned, I was exposed to it. And I think we are uh, currently learning a tremendous amount about COVID and past diseases and how it presents itself. You know, I think we're learning now that the presentation of COVID is more like hypoxic injury than a viral response for that. I mean, no, nobody knew that a couple months ago. You know, one of the things that I realized was just how little I knew about um, diseases in the first place. Like I kind of just assumed everyone was exposed. Like every year I thought every single person was basically exposed to the flu and just not everyone got sick because they had immunity or whatever. And, and apparently that's not true. And so I just, or even like the fact that there was, there's like on average 60,000 flu deaths every year. Like if you would have told me that six months ago, like if you would have said, um, next year, there's going to be 60,000 flu deaths. I would have been like, what? Like we got to prepare, <laughs> but like, just, right. just know, like, that's just, it's it just, yeah. Like, like 
we're it's it's just impossible to know everything. I mean, there's so much going on, and I don't know. This is something I've I've really been doubling down on. Is like there's a negative aspect to this, but like I I don't really watch the news. I kind of just not live in a bubble, but I just I know what will make the most impact for me and how I can help others the most. And I just focus there. And for me, it's not necessarily getting lost into like political discussions and and stuff like that. Like I think some people that is where they can make the most impact. But for me, it's it's kind of like, all right, I'm gonna, you know, build my business so I can have freedom and, and share that with others, take care of my dog, you know, go visit my grandma, like do the things that really impact the people around me rather than try to solve all the world's troubles. Cause you know, I'm yeah. not made for that. <laughs> you know, yourself, you're like, that's not, me. Yeah. you know, I think I'm very similar. Um, an interesting observation for me, Tyler was, you know, I never watched those coronavirus task force briefings. And I told my wife, I was like, I'm going to watch one. I just, I want to be open-minded and watch it. And just, I just, I just to see what it's like. I mean, it was complete horror the whole time. I mean, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be, but I was like, I'm going to look, it was just like unintelligent. Mm. It was extremely unintelligent. And it was like watching a lack of understanding of pathology. Like, again, I, I, listen, I have very strong feelings, like I'm sure a lot of people about who our leadership is in our country and different things. And maybe people are for it and maybe they're against it. Obviously, I'm sure that's the case. But it just wasn't like presented intelligently. Um, And that bothered me more than anything. It was like a lack of preparedness to present information. And and then like just a lot of um, a lot of childish behavior Mm -hmm. and um, like things I would not expect my daughter to do. She's eight. (laughs) Like principles I teach her to like not do with people. You know, name calling and you know different things like that. Lack of preparation. And was uh, this was this led by Trump or, or who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's like experts there and stuff with him, but he really wasn't like letting the experts really explain the thing, you know, like good leadership to me is like, you don't, you know, the president's great. It's a great position, everything, but the president really doesn't know a lot. Actually, the president knows about very little. And that's why you have all these other folks there. So, you know, in good leadership, you lean on other people with other information that know more than you do about certain things. And there just wasn't that going on. And, uh, it just bothered me. You know, well, honestly, I have. I mean, I I think Trump's um, an imbecile, and like I would never wish him to be president. But I I it's <laughs> I kind of respect him in a certain way because he's so good at what he does. And like again, I think he's destroying <clears throat> the government, and it's it's really sad to see. But like from if this was like a video game or like a TV show. You know, like the way he plays the game is really smart, like name calling and um, kind of belittling people like that's a really powerful <laughs> tactic. I would I would recommend using it. But man, like he is a good chess player, so to speak. Yeah, he's very he's very good at that. And then I you know, for me, like I have a, I have the same feeling. And, you know, and I believe me, I know people, a lot of people listen to the show now. And I'm sure there's plenty of people, Republicans, Democrats, Libertarian, whatever. And I'm sure, obviously, they're not gonna, they're not happy to hear, you know, that let's say we don't like Trump, but that that's not like you never heard that before yeah. from somebody. I mean, it's not like a news news flash, you know. Um, but I, I think it's just 
for me, it's just human behavior and lack of preparation. And I think it's like, what are you exposing yourself to? So while you're saying you're not watching, I rarely watch news either, but there's a, there's like a level of it that I want to know, but it's like how I want it presented to me. That's not going to piss me off. <laughs> you know, like, well, you know. one thing about the news, because a big part of my, um, like, like email marketing strategy is like, this comes from a guy named Ben Settle who actually learned it from a guy named Matt Fury, but he called it yeah. infotainment. So you're kind of mixing in for even this podcast, you know, it's like, it's not peer Inter, uh, information like we're not just reading out of a textbook it's kind of got stories yeah. and controversy and all these little things that make it more entertaining and compelling and what i've noticed about the news um because when i go visit my parents they they watch it is it's not meant to educate you it's really meant to capture your attention and i see them use all sorts of like marketing tricks in their mm. um their broadcast. So like the way they layer stories and the way they use teas and the way they use controversy i mean I just, anyone, and this is my parents and I tell them this all the time is like anyone who believes the news is trying to educate you and help you is just totally fooled because they're not, they're, they're an entertainment company. Yeah, I, I think, and certainly I think it's become way more of that over the past, since I was a child and growing up and now, you know, now we, we designate channels to be leaning certain directions. Like this channel's more um, red, this channel's more blue, this is more moderate and things of that nature. So like the way the news is presented is geared towards, uh, affiliations for people for that versus just presenting information for that. Actually, I had a guy on my podcast, Peter Nowak. He's an awesome dude. He's like 26. He has his own news organization. Wow. It's pretty amazing actually. And it's called the donut <laughs> and it's an email news organization. And it sends you all the news going around the world and coronavirus and all that stuff to your email. And it'll say like this story, but it'll say, it'll say, let's say it's coronavirus and it'll give you four links. And the link will say, this link is left-leaning. This link is right-leaning. This link is moderate. And then you choose however you want the news presented to you for that. And so the goal of it is like presenting to news to you and then you make your and then you provide your opinion based off of however you want it presented to you. So it doesn't lean either it way. Kind of remind, there's a magazine. My dad has read it for years and um, I've read it off and on and I'm starting to read it more is um, it's called the week and it comes out every week. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not like articles that the, that their journalists write. It's like mm -hmm. all compiled. So it's kind of like what you were saying. So they'll take like a topic, like um, you know, whatever Trump, Trump's latest policy or whatever. And then they'll just have like six or seven different tidbits from different articles. And it's, it's kind of like what you're saying. So instead of just having this one article lambasting Trump or praising him, it's like, here's, here's what someone thinks about. That's good. Here's what someone thinks that's bad. And it, it, I mean, that's honestly, that's like what news used to be, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember growing, I mean, I'm 42 and I can remember watching the news, my parents and it wasn't editorial news. It wasn't like commentating and all these like crazy yelling at each other and stuff like that. It was just like, here's what happened today in the news. And then the news ended, like the TV shut off, like the, like the news actually ended. Can you believe that? Anybody who's really young and like the TV didn't go on all night. Yeah, it didn't know. last all day. It was like, you couldn't watch anymore. You know, it's like, 
And so with this kind of 24-hour news cycle, the constant media is nowhere like what it used to be, where it's like you were presented the news, you were told what it was, and then you just kind of made up your own ideas of how it made you feel for that. And that's why I don't like the news now, because it's, it's, you're not getting information. You're getting entertainment, slanted entertainment, you know, it's like, and it gets, and it pisses me off half the time. <laughs> and that's why I can't watch it most of the time. Amen. Um, but one of this, one of the interesting things I see going on right now is I think, I think definitely, I had no idea you were 41. You look, you look really young, man. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> but, um. Like one of the things I see with my generation is obviously we're very mistrustful of the news. Like I grew up, um, I was in first grade when 9-11 happened. And so I like grew up during all the conspiracy theories against Bush and stuff. Oh wow! And so I've always been very distrustful of the news, let alone that school would just straight up lie to you and tell you like, oh, Christopher, I remember singing a song in kindergarten about how Christopher Columbus was a great man. And then my brother, <laughs> like, telling me oh yeah he was a like a rapist and a murder it was terrible yeah so <laughs> i never trusted like authority figures at, at least in that way but what i'm seeing is everyone's kind of getting their own platform so you have it with this uh, podcast i have it with my my email subscriber list and now what's really really cool is people like they're starting to get like business apps so like you could have the dr d social network business app where you could release your podcast on it you could um you know sell like courses on it and so instead of like like what i see it being at least um is instead of like you going on facebook and seeing all your friends or linkedin like you're gonna have your own social media platform basically and oh wow and i I mean not not, maybe not everyone but i I really think there is going to be more this move towards instead of big media companies it's going to be more like everyone's their own media company which dude that's literally like what i'm trying to do I'm literally trying to do that with this podcast and stuff. It's like my, my own social network. Yeah, That's cool. I don't know if you want to look into it, but um, again, I I got this from Ben Settle who I already mentioned, but he, he's starting a company where you like, it's like $75 a month or something and you can have your own Mm -hmm. app and people can just like download your podcast straight to their phone and send me that. I need that. that. (laughs) Especially because there's lots of ways um, you can monetize it, like have, um, like I said, like have your courses or extra, extra stuff for your rabid fans. So I, I think it's going to be really, really cool. So what you're saying, if I'm hearing this correctly, it's like your own personal network that just basically almost like privatizing social networking in a sense. Yeah. So, so at least right now, cause they, they like just launched this app and I'm, I know there's different companies who do this sort of thing. There's no like networking aspect of it, but apparently they are going to add like a social media aspect of it. So like right now, if you download the Ben Settle app, it basically is just like a way for you to access his content. But mm-hmm. yeah, I know moving forward, there will be like a, like a way for like, say you had your Dr. D app, like for me to go connect with Carolyn or, or whatever, like straight through that app. Nuts, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... Wow. I, you know, what's interesting. I think like if I see like ads when I'm watching streaming and stuff like that, and I see ads for like Facebook groups and all these groups, I feel like groups are becoming the thing, you know? And I feel like these companies are pushing, getting to your group. Right. I know you don't like this word, the tribe thing, like form your own tribe, you know, like find your group and find your people and create these like closed kind of not closed, but like your own thing that like, you just want your people to be looking at it, you know? Yeah, it's it's kind of like um, 
I don't know, like Lord, like some people like Lord of the Rings, some people like Harry Potter. It's almost like an own, your own culture where you develop your own language and and that sort of thing. You know what it's like, man. I don't know if you know this, but it was like big when I was growing. Well, big in a very big subculture like Dungeons and Dragons yeah. and stuff. And like you know, people are like they're like you know the the D and D people, and they had like their own thing. And you're like, what's going on here, man? You know, like <laughs> I feel like it's like everybody's gonna have their own. D and D, you know, it's like, well, this is my group. This is my people. Yeah. Like we just communicate on our app. <laughs> you know? One of the most, one of the really powerful things about thinking it that way is it, it actually taps into like, you know, the, the, um, the hero's journey and how we're sort of all playing the, uh, the hero in our own story. And I mean, I think that's, that's a big, I've never played D and D, but I think that is a big part of the, the, the story. Right. I don't know. I just mentioned it because I knew some dudes that did it, but I never did it. So I'm just, but I never, I never thought about it or heard about it. Like the hero in your own story thing. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a big part of marketing is like, like the, like in, in good copy, you should always make your, or you, or even like in this podcast, like it's us talking, but in a way, um, and I think Joe Rogan does this really, really well. I don't, I haven't listened to Joe Rogan in months, but it's like always the listener is the hero in a way like Joe Rogan or even in this podcast, you know, we're kind of like fighting against news and misinformation yeah. and all these different things, but we're kind of like doing it as on part of the listener in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It does make sense. I just never heard it presented that way. And that, uh, I don't know. I'm really, I'm like actively thinking about that. <laughs> I'm like, you know, when you're introduced to something and it kind of throws your brain a little bit, that's where I'm at with that. That's my goal in life is to do that to people. So, yeah. I mean, obviously you got me because I'm like, okay, I haven't heard that. It's hard to hear. For me, hearing a new idea in my world is, is very jarring. Cause you, so I'm like, <laughs> huh. Well, uh, have you, have you like, um, read Joseph Campbell or, or Jung or any, anything like that that talks like about mythology? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. I just, I don't know, like that. Well, one, that whole app thing is blowing my mind. That's blowing my mind because I think like I intend for it to be like, that's my intention. It's like, Hey, like we talked about creating like these groups and subgroups within a network, creating your own network through a podcast. But I, you know, I never thought about like an actual app for it. You know, and like, hey, everybody come to the Dr. D app. And then all that. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, the like the earlier you can do it too, it it's um like, I think it's gonna be a lot more popular in the next couple of years. So yeah, like, you'll, you'll, like if you did do it, you'd be an early adopter. But I mean, if you think about it, like they're already going into an app to listen to your podcast. Like they're either going into yeah. Apple podcast app or Stitcher or whatever. So it's like, right. might as well just own it. Right. Right. And then you direct people to that app as the way to listen to it. And essentially, It's also a way of um, like indirect response marketing. It's all about building a list. So like one of the downsides of even me being on LinkedIn is I'm not really building like a list. Like there's an audience of sorts, but I don't own it or I don't control it. And if it's your own app, like that's something that you own and control. So it's kind of a, it's, 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 it's more beneficial to you and your audience too, really. What do you think has been the the overriding, I don't know, outcome as we see it after having all of this social media over all these years? What have we learned from using it? 
Hmm, that's a that's a great question. I think it's a little tough for me to answer because like when I was in middle school, I think I had I had MySpace. So I, I really don't remember like pre-social media time. Um I mean, I do obviously, but I wasn't like, you know, I was like in elementary school, I wasn't like thinking of this stuff. But I don't know if this is just a human trait or an American trait, but I think there is like an insane level of entitled entitlement going around right now. And like, that's like part of like the whole sports things. Like you better open up my border, my, my, my school, you know, whatever. <laughs> like I want to watch my sports. And so I think social media has really amped up that entitlement. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm open. I'm curious what you, what you have to say too. Uh, I'm going to give a very thoughtful response about this <laughs> for it. I have definitely lived way before technology was, when I mean way, not a super far, like somebody who's grew up in the fifties, whatever, but I can remember seeing a computer for the, like a desktop computer for the first time and like th- thinking it was like a spaceship, <laughs> wow. you know, like, I was like, Whoa, what's this? Like, and it was a Tandy computer and you had to write in like, MS DOS directives and all this stuff. And I mean, it was like so stone age, you know, or I remember the first time I was introduced to the internet and like the dial up, the AOL dial up, the <laughs> and it would take 10 minutes for the page to load. But that just blew my mind, even that, you know, it's like I remember the first time I had an email address, I didn't even know email existed. It was, I went to college and they said I had an email address and I remember going, what's that? Oh my God, that's crazy. Isn't that nuts? And then when a friend of mine showed me how to log into the college email system and I said, is this like writing a letter to someone? <laughs> They're like, it's exactly like that, except you write it here on this platform and you send it and it goes to the other person. I was like, whoa, are you serious? <laughs> I was like, Damn. I'm not joking. That's man. not. I remember. Crazy. That. Isn't that nuts? Where like somebody else grew up with it. It's just part of their everyday life. Like I remember, I just remember that like it was yesterday. And um, I think I think what we've learned is that our ability to create is much greater than we thought it was. Mm. Uh, that we're we have the we are creating a power that is almost greater than our capabilities to understand it in, in many ways. We create these algorithms, these things, and machine learning and you know anticipation, all these things. And I think that the the technology grows so much faster than our capacity to have wisdom for it. Yeah. In many ways. Like the nuclear kind of dilemma. Yeah. And I think it scares me. On some level. That's interesting Um, because when you first said that our ability to create, I thought you were more talking about individuals creating content. So like, um, have you ever been to like a music festival? Yeah. Okay. So like like when I first started going to music festivals, what blew me away was everyone, like, like the crowd is just as much a part of the show as the um, the musician. So like, you know, people dress up and they're dancing and they're doing flow toys, um, you know, yeah. light shows, whatever, like all these different things. And it was really cool. Cause like, I realized like, Oh my God, like I'm part of the act here, you know, like, like we're helping this whole thing go on. This isn't just like people sitting in a, 
in seats listening to a symphony. And so that's almost what I thought you said. And I think, I think what you said is true, but I also think there's that aspect and that's going into like this idea of having your app or your own platform yeah. is like, like I'm amazed that people get onto my list. Cause I'm like a nobody in so many ways. <laughs> um, there's this guy like on YouTube, Chris Rega that I, I don't, I don't necessarily recommend anyone check him out. Cause he's kind of like, I don't know, a jokester, but like he, he's really small, but it's cool because like, I connect with him. And so I go watch him. So even though he's not like NBC or, or one of these big names, yeah. does, does that make sense? Like it's, it's yeah, individuals yeah. entertaining and teaching other individuals rather than like some authority figure. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it's part of it. I think for me, just the creation of the technology in itself, I think there are unintended consequences that the people who create it don't think about. They just do it. They just do shit because it's cool for them. You know, sometimes like, why don't I just do it? You know, and then they don't think about like, not, you can't predict the future. You don't know what's going to happen. Obviously you, you may have something really noble in mind and something negative comes out of it. But like, it's like, we don't think about the consequences of what could be of giving every single human being a voice, uh, a platform on some level. And I think that, we're obviously we're more connected in a sense in that way, but it's like, it's given people the opportunity to connect with other people when maybe they shouldn't yeah. on some level. You know, I'm like, right, there's, does that make sense? No, absolutely. It's like, it's like flat earthers um, now yeah. have found their tribe, which isn't a good thing, but right. It's so there's a, there's a really good podcast out right now called um, I think it's called the rabbit hole. And it's, it's a lot of what you were just talking about. So like YouTube, they basically, their one job for their algorithm at a certain point was just maximizing the amount of time people would be on the platform watching YouTube videos. Yeah. And so to do that, they would make the videos more and more polarizing. So like, let's say you started watching something on, um, you know, like, like why Trump isn't the worst president. And then the next one would be like, why Trump's a good president. And then after you keep on clicking and watching the next one, you're, you're watching like alt-right type of stuff <laughs> right. or, or the other way, you know, you could go down like the communist rat hole or rabbit hole or whatever. But it's, it's basically what you were saying is like these YouTube is just trying to maximize how many people are watching it and how much time they spend. Cause that's what's going to make them money. But the outcome of that is basically radicalizing people <laughs> and like sending yeah. them to the fringes. Like I remember before all this happened, like you had to have real juice, real power to have real influence because you couldn't spread it by, you couldn't infect other people through social media or spread it. Like you had to like have real juice, man. Like you had to be like, to be like real well-known and be a star and all that stuff. Like you had to really travel the globe. Your influence had to be physical a lot of times, you know, and you had to transcend the barriers of your, of what the media was back then, you know? And like now it's just like, if you were pissed off at something and you had no voice, like you would just be pissed off wherever you're at, you know? And nobody would care. Nobody gave a shit if you were upset about something in the back of the woods somewhere in America. Because that was just what you were doing back there and nobody cared. But like now, if somebody starts yelling or go, I think I'm going to go on YouTube and make some videos and talk about how I hate this and that or what I, I like this and that or 
blah, blah, blah. And then if enough people are into it, it's like a bunch of people, it, it creates a voice for radicalization or weird ideas and things like that. And sometimes I just think the unintended consequences, you're giving the wrong people the platform yeah. sometimes, you know, and, and because we have freedom of speech, which I think is good. I mean, it's great. You know, you, you kind of have to, you have to allow it, <laughs> you know, it's like, but then it's like, why are we being influenced by, by cat videos? <laughs> so like, well, so you know, I was actually just reading about this this morning. Um, they've done studies where if someone commits suicide and it's publicized on the news, there's like a 10 X increase in suicides in that area. in like the next few days, oh my gosh. And they've actually, I mean, it goes way deeper than that. They found like car crashes go up because they think people are like committing suicides like that way. And um, they've actually found the more the person, so like, let's say like a, a tw- like I'm 27, um, you know, like white male. So like, let's say a 27 year old white male and it was publicized, then 27 year old white males would be the most likely to kill themselves. And so the idea is like the social proof phenomenon. If someone else does something, it makes it okay for you to do. And I think that's part of the problem you're talking about is, if I go on YouTube and I see this all right guy screaming about racism or, or, you know, on the other side too, it makes it more okay for me to have those beliefs. Right. Like I just remember like, I mean, I've lived over, I lived in so many places on this planet because I grew up in a military family and I grew up in, uh, well, I went to my first high school. I went to two high schools. One was in Richmond Hill, Georgia. The other one was in Springfield, Virginia. And I remember I moved from Germany where my dad was and mom were stationed there, and we moved to German and we moved to like southern Georgia, like two completely radically different places. Yeah. And I mean, I get down there and there's guys with pickup trucks with the shotgun in the rack Gee. and the American flag just flying, you know, the whole America thing, you know, like flag. Yeah, I mean, crazy stuff like backwoods, poverty like you've never seen before in your life. And I, that was the first time I experienced racism in my whole life, like overt racism, like crazy out in public racism, you know, driving by when I'm walking to school, calling me the N word and stuff like that. Crazy stuff. That, that was like in the the eighties or the- that was in the, that was in the, uh, that was in the nineties. No, that was in the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Right. Like, I mean, and yeah, uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Right. That's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, before like the whole, like really before Obama got elected, I was, I like thought racism was dead. Like I I was, oh no, I was like young <laughs> and like living in my bubble. And I was like, oh yeah, I know it's 2000. People aren't really like, there's a few out there. And like, it was a wake up call to see how rampant racism still is in America. And honestly, when I traveled Europe, there was, I, I saw more overt racism there, um, you know, against different groups of people. But like, I saw tons of racism there, like very, people weren't even ashamed about it. Like, I think in America, there's at least a little bit more shame, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's it, yeah. it's pretty crazy. I think it's like, you know, to think like it's like doesn't exist or it's like currently like it's, it's crazy, man. You know, like, but, you know, I went from these different environments and I remember thinking like, you know, these guys... They can, you know, they're like that. And here, nobody knows about it except for the people in this town. Mm-hmm. You know, they know that, you know, this dude does this. He has the shotgun on the back of his truck, blah, blah, blah. But now that same guy can be racist across the world, potentially. Damn. 
Like he can have his own, him or her, all of a sudden you've taken this localized racism. And if they're motivated enough, organized enough, consistent enough, and reach out to people who maybe don't have a good center in their life or basis for good behavior or whatever, that person can amass a following and can create a lie to other people that will travel the planet, you know, and they're a virus. The internet has created the ability for humans to become viruses to each other. Intellectual contagions. Intellectual contagion. When a lie can become a truth. And that I think is the going back to, you know, what are the, what have we learned? I think that we've learned that humans are capable of becoming their own lethal virus Mm. and their behaviors for that. And that we're much more interested in spreading the lethal nature of negative news than we are spreading the joy of positive news in many ways. Do you you think that it's just the loudest people are that way? Because I mean, like, it seems like, like, I don't, I, I, you know, like most people I meet are just good salt of the earth types, you know? Oh yeah. 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 I meet a lot of wonderful people that have no notoriety in the media Mm -hmm. and the people who seem to be outrageous and do things like crazy. I don't know those people because I choose not to know those people. I don't want to be around people like that. But for some reason, I mean, maybe it's the negative bias people have. I don't know. Like those people get all the media attention for that. I just think it's crazy. We don't spend time like this is kind of a cool thing. So my brother is a a full-time hip hop artist. He's going to be on the podcast coming up. It's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah. And he, he built his career from nothing. Zero. I see him pop up on my Spotify because um, yeah, I've listened to him and, and from time to time he'll pop up. He's awesome, man. Wordsmith, he's, right? he's not wordsmith, yeah. And this dude, he makes a living doing hip hop. Like that's his full time income. He makes very good money. It's incredible. Most people don't know who he is or that. And so we're actually working on a documentary to pitch to Netflix at some point and other things about his life. And the story is about basically making it to the middle. Like everybody does a story. The story, the American dream or the dream, the capitalistic dream is like become wealthy, make all this money, be famous, get to the top. But the that's like 1% of the population. Like why are we lifting up people that the majority of other people have nothing in common with for that? And so- you know, my brother has become, he's become a a lightning rod for doing something you love to do in your life without being famous and doing it full time, making a good income, not rich, not famous, but doing what he loves, traveling the world, well, before coronavirus, but traveling the world, doing shows, packed out places in Ghana and Israel, all over the world. Nobody knows him. Generally, does he does he make like most of his money from like shows or albums? No, he makes it through licensing deals. So like a lot of his money comes from like um, like sports shows. Like they'll play like ESPN works with him, ABC, Golf Channel, MTV. Yeah, so like I'll be watching a show and my brother's song will come on. I'm like, that's crazy. That's so. That's just crazy. (laughs) You know, WWE. He's like the walkout song to one of the wrestlers or something like that, you know? It's ridiculous. Like he's found this niche market within these little places 
uh, to create royalties. So he just makes money off royalties of music playing constantly. Wow. He doesn't even know where it's happening half the time. That's, you know, and it just, just, yeah, he just gets paid. He's like, this is great, you know? And then obviously he makes money touring and stuff, but then he got in with the USO and touring with military veterans. He's toured in third world countries, war zones and stuff. And he's just willing to do stuff other people aren't willing to do. And like, where's, where's that net? Where's that documentary? Where's that story of somebody who made it, but they're not famous. You know, like, and I feel like more of that needs, there's so many of my brothers out there who are just doing what they love and they're not, they're not filthy rich. You know, they're just taking care of their family, making good enough money to feel comfortable and they're not in the spotlight. And I think we do a disservice by not highlighting those type of people because that's more of what America is like. It's not people who are, you know, have a 10,000 square foot mansion, 20,000 square foot mansion, have 20 cars. Like, why are we pumped up about that? I don't know. Dude, that that makes me think of like all the celebrities when, you know, when COVID went out. Oh my God. The one Madonna um, film. It was so terrible. So, you saw that one where she was at her bath. Yeah, in the bathtub. Oh my god, that's that's like the it's embarrassing of what you were talking about. It's embarrassing. So man. embarrassing. <laughs> like, why would you follow that? Like, why are you you can't? Why would you be inspired by that? Like, you know, you have nothing in common with Madonna. You know, you're not what you what you got. Does your backyard like Alex Rodriguez? This is like a compound. And they're like, I'm staying at home, like, you know, with all the drippings of success constantly. And that's fine. It's their life. They earned that or whatever. They made it. But, you know, that who can identify with that? You can't identify with that. And then wanting that life, like, I just think my brother's story is a very realistic story of how most people live. Or at least it's not, it's not like unattainable. You I mean, know? honestly, like, I don't think it would be fun to be a famous rapper like eminem you know no like your brother can probably do whatever he wants in his music and anything he's not like you know the the media's not gonna talk crap on him but like if you look at eminem or or any like the big famous people like that i just would it doesn't sound fun to me no no and i think you know well they have all this money and do all these things well yeah they're shut in they basically have a stay-at-home order all the time (laughs) yeah like they can't go to the movies and just let me go watch a movie right now, you know, or let me go out to dinner. It's a carefully calculated existence, mm. a very isolated existence. This whole Michael Jordan documentary that I watched, this lad, the 10 episodes, amazing. But Michael Jordan said, I only time I have when he was playing with the Bulls, the only time I have time to myself is when I'm in a I'm in my uh, hotel room and the media can't be in there. He's like, What kind of life is that? Damn. You know, like that's like that's the existence you want to shoot for. Those are the people you want to be like. I'm sure they're nice people and stuff, but like, I don't know. I just think we're shooting too high for this this plane of existence that we think will be like the top of American society. When it's okay if you're not wealthy, it's really okay. <laughs> I mean, it's it's totally fine if you don't make a ton of money. Yeah. And for some reason, we keep pumping like more more wealth. That's what put, that's what I'm getting pumped up here, but that's what put pushes me on LinkedIn. That's the one thing that I really don't like is when somebody and whoever contacts me on LinkedIn, if you listen to this, I want you to hear this loud and clear. (laughs) Stop sending me, stop sending me messages about how I can make more income for that. Like that's my goal in life to make as much income as possible. 
There are humans who do not want to make a ton of money all the time. Count me as one of them. Well, yeah, it's funny because I actually got a, a message not too long ago where the guy was like, hey, this is what I offer and I think it would really help you. And I was like, well, why do you think that would help me? Like, you don't even know like my problems. You don't like, like, like you, you're, you know what I mean? And I was like, All right, do you just say that to everyone? And he never responded. <laughs> but I mean, like sales 101 is like, ask the person what their problem is, you know? Like, like, like Darian, what, what do you want? You know, like what, what is, what is, yeah. what is, what is it that you want? Yeah. And just assuming that like, I need to make more passive income or that I need to do this to, here's the wealth generation model. I'm like, how do you know I want that? Like, you know, just the assumption that all Americans and all people are striving to become super wealthy. You know, if it was just a byproduct of what I did and I had this great thing and I became it, so be it. You know, and that was part of it. But like to say that I'm subscribing towards that all the time, that's crazy. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, there's a price. There's a price for winning that much. There is. There's a price for making a lot of money. And peop, most humans aren't ready for that price. They are not ready. That's why a lot of winners go broke. Mm. They don't, they are not understanding of the price of winning that, of what that means. And that's why you see all these crazy, you know, celebrity fall from grace stories and people have thrown their lives away. They, they don't understand the actual price of the, of the fame that they're getting into. Yeah, that's, you know? that's a great point. Well, I, I want to get your opinion on this because I think this like the the flip side of making a lot of money, people will say like, well, just follow your passion. And to me, come on, I always, I always think that's kind of like bull crap, you know, because like, like what I'm passionate about changes from day to day, you know, like I I think, I think it's really important to like, not every day I'm passionate about taking my dog for a walk, but you know, he's got to (laughs) go for his walk. And I, I mean, I enjoy it. I love my dog. But like, I think it's, it's, it's bullcrap because if you only follow your passion, as soon as it becomes hard, you're going to stop. So like, for me, like I love writing, I love what I do, but I like there, you know, I have to, to force myself to wake up early and do it. It's not like my passion is bringing me through every second of it. So I'm kind of curious what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, I think it's changed over the years. Honestly, I think I probably did subscribe to do what you're passionate about. Um, probably about 10 years ago. And then I, my current view, I think is, um, is more of like, well, what's my effort? What am I willing to put consistent effort towards on a regular basis? And I want to follow my effort. Currently I'm willing to put consistent effort into my live virtual training business, my consulting and management company, and my podcast. If I stop wanting to have effort in those areas, I'll just stop doing them. I just do something else, you know, like, so I don't know. I think passion, I don't, it just depends. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Like I'm passionate about like cooking food for my family. Does that, does that mean I should be a chef? I mean, like I'm passionate about finding like really great emo music sometimes. Should I start being an emo musician? I don't Well, yeah. And I think, I don't know. Like, like I think when people hear your brother's a rapper, they're like, Oh, he's following his passion, but I'm sure he works hard. And there's <laughs> days where he's like, man, I don't feel like writing, but or I don't feel like yeah. this track, but I have to, you know? And I think, of course, I think that's, that's, that was a big, like growing up lesson for me was just like, no, you're, you're not going to want to do this every day, but it's forcing yourself to do it and getting in the rhythm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's a, it's a big lie that, 
the younger generation kind of buys into? I think it's a big fallacy. I actually had this conversation the other day with my wife and because maybe there's a long time ago and she said, well, you're doing something you love. You love doing all the time. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, I, I do like being in the training profession, but this is the honest truth. Some days I don't want to do it. Some days I wake up and be like, I wish everybody canceled. Today. <laughs> you know, like, it's just the honest truth. And you know what? Some days they probably like, I wish Darian would cancel on me today. I really don't want to do this today. You know, you just, you push yourself through, you get it done. But like, no, I'm not like loving what I do. Like every, I'm just so happy. Every single training session, so pumped out of my mind, hundred percent love and life. Woo. You know, like hashtag winning. Hashtag I'm winning every second of the day. I'm like, no, I'm kind of losing some days. I just feel like trash that, today. You know, I think that's where like the real human journey is, is when you've committed to something and you're like, well, I don't feel like doing it right now, but I committed to this. So I'm going to do it. Yeah. I, I Listen, I'm like that with this podcast sometimes, straight up transparent. Sometimes I look at all the recordings I have during the week and I go, we don't feel like doing this this week. <laughs> you know, it's not, it has nothing to do with the people and like, oh, I don't want to talk to so-and-so. It's just like, I might be in a mood that yeah, day. Yeah, no, I totally feel it, man. I Right? You know, I don't want to do I like it. all the podcasts all the time. And then right before I'm like, fuck, I don't want to do this. And then like, I'm like oh, that was really fun. <laughs> right you're like not feeling like man i shouldn't have booked it on this day this time why did i i really don't want to do it Fuck. yeah but then you do it and you're like i'm glad i did that yeah you know it's just the nature of being a human you're not up all the time you're not down all the time hopefully and you know i think we're telling people like do something you're passionate about and be overwhelmingly overwhelmingly happy about it i think you're telling people that the journey is just this happy joy, joy journey constantly. That's definitely not true. No. I mean, it's like being married, man. I've been married for 16 years and I love it. It's been an awesome journey, but I would be lying my face off if I didn't say sometimes it wasn't hard. Yeah. Or I'm sure you, I mean, it's just the truth. Yeah. My wife would tell me the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> she would say the same thing. It's not easy all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, if it was, I think it almost makes it work like more meaningful, right? Cause it's not easy. Yeah. Things that are easy, yeah, you, you usually kind of forget about them. <laughs> exactly. If the if the entry level is too low for something, and you're just like, whatever, you just throw it away. You know, it's just kind of like I was telling my daughter the other day, and I was like, listen, if you if you could, this is a big conversation, but it's kind of like social media. The entry level to sign up for social media is so low, you just kind of don't give a crap about it sometimes. You know, like, but if there was like a ten step verification requirement process and application to get onto a social media platform, most people wouldn't do it. It's too much work. Yeah. It's like you make something easy, people just throw it away. They go, eh, it's not much, not worth my time, really. You know? Yeah. Well, I want to ask you since you brought up your your training program, because I'm really into like fitness and, and doing handstands. And I think I have a slightly different take on it than a lot of people. Like I I pretty much only do body weight in my mm-hmm. my like perception is it's not all about getting stronger or getting more flexible like there's just something to moving and i'm not do you know who ito portal is no okay well he's like this big movement guru and and he basically treats it like a religion like a spiritual mm-hmm. practice i'm just i'm just curious like what like what type of training do you do or what's what sort of your training philosophy i actually 
uh, had this conversation. You're asking me things that I've recently talked about, which is funny. Um, I actually had this conversation with uh, a client the other day, and then I've had it with all my clients throughout the decades, years. Is uh, in the fitness community, there's there's a large amount of like training towards a certain um, like tool or a way. Uh, it be you would you would compare it to like in martial arts if somebody's you know studying Jeet Kune Do or somebody's doing Taekwondo versus Jiu Jitsu and all these different forms like this is what I do type of thing and and trip fitness I don't subscribe to like Orange Theory or CrossFit or um, strictly high intensity interval training or rowing and stuff like that I at, my focus is on scientific principles for adaptation mm. for that. And so I make it based off of purely biomechanics, motor learning, and physics to create um, exercises that create a stimulus to create a chronic adaptation. So that could be anything for that. That could be a basic lunge leading into 10 steps from that, a lunge with a rotation with a lateral lunge or squat lunge rotation to one side, other side, different planes of motion, pulley systems, um, upper, lower. Um, how do I create intensity through um, body positioning, the weight over my head, the weight on near my shoulder, the weight to the side of me, the weight on one side versus the other side, teaching an exercise, part versus whole learning, all right, break into that. This is the final stage of where this would be more sophisticated. This is simpler. This is the simple exercise. Here's how it becomes more complex mm -hmm. for that. And so um, the goal is to create a stimulus over gradually over time so that the person can make an improvement. That's it. And so that could be me using a kettlebell for that. That could be using your own body weight for that. That could be use a barbell for that as a BOSU. That could be a resistance band. It could be anything. I will take anything and create a stimulus from it for it to create an increase. So it allows me to have a lot of creativity, allows me to focus, focus primarily on how do I create in, uh, intensity over time that is appropriate for the person and how do I evaluate that? Because the honesty and, and fitness, this is, this is my holy grail. This is the truth as, as I believe it, the research and stuff like that. And we know through a tremendous amount of bio variability in humans, you can introduce the same workout program, intensity, whatever it is, to 20 different human beings, and they will all have very different outcomes based off of that. So if somebody says, this program works, this methodology works, I tell them, how do you know that? Yeah. Or what? How do you know that? You know, I won't know. I won't know until I actually evaluate it. If I, I introduce a stimulus to somebody, I see how their body reacts to it. I watch, you know, their range of motion, their stability, how they move a resistance through dynamic progressive movement. Then I evaluate, I reconfigure, provide something different for that. So if somebody will ask me, how am I going to look in three months? Or how do I know if this is going to work? But like, dude, I don't know if it's going to work for you. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I know the science. I know biomechanics. And I'm going to provide a stimulus that you don't know how to provide to yourself. But to say, 
I'm going to know what's going to happen to you or how you're going to look. Dude, you don't even know how you're, how you've ever looked like this. So like, how am I supposed to know? You know? Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. I, I, I think, um, I mean, you obviously know this way deeper than I do, but I, I, I'm totally like resonate with what you said. And I think you would like Ido Portel, his, his whole thing, mm-hmm. like, like what you were saying about the lunge turning into the the lunge with the yeah. fist and it kind of builds on itself. Yeah. His, his philosophy. And I think this actually comes from some martial arts is it's like, it starts with isolation. So you start with the lunge and then, um, I forget the second I, but it's basically like you link integration. So you like, you, you isolate a few different movements and then you integrate those movements and link them together. And then the last step is improvis- improvisation. So instead of just mm-hmm. like doing lunges as an exercise, you're adding lunges into a like holistic movement pattern. And a lot of the stuff yeah. he does is almost like a dance, but yeah. level. Cause he'll do like a handstand to like a one-armed, um, you know, like elbow, st- like sh- elbow stand or elbow lever mm-hmm. to like crawling on the ground to like doing a backflip. So it's like this, it's, it's almost just like he, he's basically playing like what, what you see kids play, but he's so good at it that it's like, it's like an art form. I would say mine's very similar yeah, to that. I, it's very similar to that. I'll send you, if you want me to, I'll send you a video of him. Yeah. Uh, and I, I honestly, like he's changed my entire life. I didn't used to like exercise. Like I always loved playing sports, but I just hated that. Like you're going to, you're going to bench press this. And then in two weeks you're going to add no. five pounds. Like it was like, well, that doesn't make sense to me. Like I want to stand on my hands and, and climb stuff. And I don't know, to me, it's like exercise is so much more fun than most people make it. Well, I think it's also too, it's, I've talked about this on some other podcasts that I've been on and Dwayne Wimmer and I, who's been in the business for 30 years, we have a very similar thought process is that it's, it's a marketing, like we throw around the word exercise, like people know what it means or they say physical activity or movement. And we're, we're marketing it completely wrong because it's, it's not marketed based on the actual definitions of what it is. Exercise implies that there is a grad, there is a regular gradual stimulus that is occurring into the body to cause a gradual regular change in the body. So if you're doing a handstand, like whatever, how you learn to do a handstand, it's part first whole training. And probably the first time you tried to do it, it was like really, really hard. And you were providing a stimulus that your body was not used to. Your body said, oh, oh no. Okay, I have to get stronger to be able to do this. And so you introduce a stimulus, it gets stronger. So the next time you do a different portion of the handstand, it gets a little bit better. And you, you got to do a little bit more to, become, to make it. You have to provide another stimulus to get better. And then now maybe you're doing the handstand and it's easy to walk on your hands. If you want to get better at it, maybe like walk up stairs, you have to introduce stairs to the program. And initially walking up those stairs is very hard because it is a stimulus you are not used to doing. That's exercise, uncomfortable, the uncomfortable nature of improving for that. It may be fun and it may not be fun either. There's both sides of it. It could be really fun improving and it could feel like trash improving too for it. But then physical activity is usually the absence of a regular stimulus. So this is when people are doing an activity that may be a skilled activity, but they've become so used to doing it that they no longer provide a stimulus to make it harder to improve. So they just do it. They just keep doing it. It's kind of your regular gym exerciser. Maybe they started running on a treadmill at 
six miles an hour, you know, 0% grade. And it was hard for them and say with exercising initially. And then eventually it became easy to them. And they said, I think I'm just going to stay here because this is comfortable for me. And that's what most people in the gym do is they start exercising and then move into physical activity. And then people say, well, just move. Yeah. Well, me and you, we move to our computer and back. <laughs> I mean, like that's movement. There's no stimulus. There's no skill to it. Generally, it's just moving. I walk to my car. There's your movement. Okay. Type of thing. You know, I walked around my house. So I think we have a marketing problem with what exercise is and isn't and looking at it in different tiers. My clients, the goal that we always have together is we want to be exercising and be, but we also want to maybe move into physical activity or general movement on days when we need more recovery. Mm -hmm. And it's pointless to keep adding a stimulus if it's diminishing returns for that. That is the science of working out that actually a lot of fitness professionals don't have for that. So they do gimmicks and stuff. And let's do 40 different exercises in a session instead of focusing on mastering the lunge very well or the squat or adding rotation for it or adding a lateral movement toward or adding actual dynamic movement up and down for it. And so it's like going up belt levels and and a martial arts versus just that it'd be like saying in one session I did all these different versions of martial arts at the same time and like but you're never good at any of it. Right. You know, like so that's that kind of explains well, that. That I mean that I think that's the like like one of the the issues I have with like the maybe maybe like the mainstream movement. And I used to do yoga in college and I think this was mm-hmm. um somewhere that it, like, like I actually ended up becoming so flexible, but not strong in those flexible positions that I ended up like, I would like go for a run and twist my ankle. Um, yeah. And one of the things with like yoga or like, you know, the, the classic, like just doing a lunge is you're just like, like, let's say a lunge, you're just doing a lunge. But like what you were saying mm-hmm. is you have to add that little bit of rotation. It's not like we're this very planar thing. Like we're, we're, we're we move in every single dimension. And I think that's a, a huge like you see someone at the gym, they're going to do push, pull, you know, yes. not going to push at an angle or, or, or push one arm uh, more than the other. And like, like I, I, I like rock climbing a lot. And I think that's the perfect great. sort of model yeah. because it's not just like you're grabbing a bar and pulling up, which nothing wrong with pull-ups, but like, you know, your left arm's a little higher. Your right hand is, is at a different grip. You know, your, your leg is off to the side. So it's, it's, like that's really more how humans move naturally. Yes. Yeah, exactly. There's just too many, and many times in fitness, there's too much rigidity or in the rules and stuff. And there's many exercises that, or variations or iterations of things that in the same exercise, you will be both rigid and fluid at the same huh. time. What, what do you mean for that? So like you may be doing, let's say like a plank is just not something you do on the ground in a fixed position. A plank could be having, let's say, uh, any weighted implement over your head or your shoulder and your body is very rigid and you're very tight. You know, you're tightening your abdominal muscles, you know, your glutes and the whole thing like that. And then the fluidity part would be made if I tell you to do hip flexion and then rotate your hip out while moving to the side. So you have to create this this very fluid hip rotation, rotational movement while in a plank position. Gotcha. That's keeping tight. It's kind of like like doing that. a handstand in move like your mom, like I'll move my legs to split them to do straddle something yes. like that. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're doing both 
kind of mobility, stability, strength, and endurance. All those things are part of the movement. So it's like teaching, like, how do I create stability and mobility at the same time with that? And just creating different variations of movement to make it harder over time to increase the intensity to cause an increase in the stimulus and thereby hopefully causing a chronic adaptation to occur so, for that. So what's your take on flexibility? Because it kind of drives me insane when people say like flexibility is important. Because my- It's a lot of research on it. What? A lot. There's a lot of research on it and it's pretty much irrelevant. Right. So it's it's not, it's like, it has a lot more to do with your nervous system than like muscle pliability, right? Yeah. It's more of like, you know, back in the- 80s, 90s, it was a lot of static stretching. You know, you sit there and you stretch. And then we started learning through research is that when you do that before you exercise, you actually decrease your body's ability to produce force when you do that. So let's say you do this big stretching routine, then you want to you produce force by lifting a weight or pushing or pulling something. You decrease your ability to do that with it. So now the focus is on creating more neurological movement mm-hmm. Um, and uh, mobility so that, you know, we're doing things that maybe it's a lateral lunge, weight transfer, shuffle over to the side with that, like that stretching versus like this, let's stretch in this 20, 30 second window. And we also know in the research that it's pretty much indifferent. It doesn't decrease your ability. It doesn't decrease your um, chances of getting hurt. It doesn't improve your performance. You, it doesn't. It just doesn't at this point. So the best research we have now basically says dynamic mobility, progressive mobility is your best thing to do at this point. So actually moving, <laughs> you know, versus just sitting, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, that makes, so that's where it's at. It makes a know? lot more sense to me. And especially like, um, like, I, like one of the things I like about Ido Portal is, I mean, and this this goes back to like martial arts too, is like he has these different like animal locomotion movements. And so I do adapting that that and like watching my dog. And I notice like my dog, when he walks, like his entire spine does this kind of a wave. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Like he's, he, he doesn't like sit there and and do like a a minute long stretch. He kind of just like, he'll get up from his bed and he'll do like a stretch. Like he's stretching all day and he's so flexible and limber and strong. And I think there's, yeah. to that. It's it's more just like how you live your life rather than I'm going to go to the gym for an hour and then go sit on the couch and eat potato chips. Yeah. Yeah. I've always, uh, I actually incorporate a lot of um, those type of movements, like childlike play movements and animal based movements. So there's like a segment of working out that is all animal flow. That's like just what people do yeah. the whole time. I incorporate different pieces and elements of things, not because I think it's cool, or that I think it just, it has this great look to it. It's just that it just, it's just another tool to create intensity. That's all it is. It's just another position I could put the body in to increase the, its ability to adapt to something. And so I think as long as you understand the science in terms of biomechanics, exercise physiology, uh, motor learning, you can work with any canvas that is available. Versus if you don't learn any of that, then you're basically stuck on the tool that you've been given. Or like, I only work with a sandbag. I only work with, you know, dumbbells. I only work on platforms. I'm, all, I'm a TRX guy. I just use TRX. So I just do like all those things are part of the tool 
um, the the portfolio, but it's it they're just they're just a means to an end to create uh, intensity and to create a stimulus. Well, that's crazy because that. that connects back to our identification talk. So like exactly, <laughs> I I am not nobody can say that my training is adhering to this system or that system. It's whatever it needs to be. So, yeah. so one of the things that Ido Portal talks about that I find fascinating, and this is part of why I say he almost does it like a spirituality, is because um, he's super into like the science and the evolution of it too. And one of the things he talks about is one of the reasons humans' brains are so complex is because we're by far the best movers. Like we're not the strongest or the fastest, but like I can do, I can do any movement my dog can do, whereas he can't, you know, he'll never learn how to do like a back bend or a handstand. Yeah. Um, and so I, I noticed with myself when I started doing these movements in different ways, crawling on the ground, you know, like doing handstands, doing back bends, mm-hmm. like my creativity and my mental process felt like it exploded. And like, I, I felt like I was making all these new connections. I don't know. Do you, do you know any of that, that science or research behind that? Have you heard? Have you heard? I don't. I don't know that completely, but I think it, it it's very intuitive for me. And so, like when I see when I see something because I've done this so long, like it just downloads in my brain immediately. <laughs> I see a person move. All I have to do is watch somebody move. I put them in different positions, and I immediately know what I need to do to move them and move them forward. And at least in the science, and then I see how they react to it, their recovery time their super compensation levels. I'm just, it's just very intuitive to me. It's kind of like, for me personally, it's like I bring rap because I listened to it growing up so much. And my brother's like, you know, some people, when they first start rapping, they write all their lyrics down because mm-hmm. they need to write it down. And then you see guys like over time, like Jay-Z and all that. And like, they don't write anything. They just, they could just say, they can do an entire album off their head. Yeah, You know, and it just comes to like the lyrics come to them. For me, it's the same way. It just downloads into my brain literally immediately well, what I want. That's do. a really interesting um, parallel, I think, because I actually, I mean, yeah. I, I'm super into hip hop too. And I've, yeah. I've always written poetry and stuff. So I definitely have written my fair share of raps. In fact, one of my friends right now, uh, he's a he's like a, D, a music producer and he wants to do like a little hip hop track with me and another friend. But why isn't that on the on the podcast? That's what I want, Tyler. I'm like, <laughs> well, I'll let you know when it's out. We could definitely do it. But like, um, like it's okay. So it's like like what I experienced was you write you write raps and you practice them and you and you kind of get these like words and phrases. You're almost like building your vocabulary. And then when you freestyle, it's not like it's brand new. It's almost like like right now I'm talking, but I'm, I'm, I'm totally improvising what I'm saying, but I'm, I'm so comfortable with the language that it just kind of comes out. And it sounds to me like that's where you've gotten with movement is it's almost like you've learned all these different, um, you know, kinetic words, let's, let's call it or kinetic phrases. And so now you can just kind of link them together in an improvised way rather than like when you're learning a new language and you have to consciously think about it. Yeah, that's, that's the way like I've, I've heard a lot of comedians say that Dave Chappelle speaks the language of comedy. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it flows through him. Right. It's just, it's his language. Like exercise and movement, it's my language. Like I could, I literally could be on vacation walking around and see a space and like psh, download, psh, here we go. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the matrix when they say, like, oh, I know Kung Fu now, you know, like 
That's literally how it works. I'm not trying to be cocky. Like that's literally how it works in my brain. Yeah, yeah. You become it just like, happens. You become like unconsciously confident. Yeah, it literally just happens. I've tried to explain this to me. But it's like I, it just happens. Like I don't. I'm not even aware of it. Let it. I just walk. I'd be like, I walk into any gym. I see it. Be like, done. Okay, here we go. Here it's, it's what we're doing. And like it's a full on, very intricate program. You know, like I don't. I, sometimes I'm like. How do I do that? <laughs> you know, like I just- totally get it because this is my experience with because uh, my background is in creative writing, and so and, and now with copywriting, like there's so much depth to good copywriting, like um, or, or even like poetry. So like, let's say I'm writing a poem, like there's a lot of depth to it, um, but it's not like I understand that I'm 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 like kind of injecting that depth until I go back and read it, and I'm like, oh wow, like um. Or even with like TV shows, you'll you'll t- you'll hear these guys where they write one episode at a time, and like there's a there's a thing in the first episode that connects to the last episode. And when they were writing the first episode, they had no idea that it was going to connect. But when they were looking back, they were like, "Holy crap! Like these themes connect." Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot so it's of like sense. So it deep makes- in your psychology that it almost just comes out naturally. That's that's at least been my experience with these things. Yeah, definitely. Tyler, man, you always push me, man. You push me to like, this is officially the longest podcast episode I've ever done. Two hours, two minutes. I mean, that was like two seconds. It felt like. I looked up at it. It was an hour and I was like, holy crap. I thought we just started talking. Isn't that crazy? Like, see, that's the time dilation, the zone. Tyler, you're definitely coming back on. I need this. This is good for my soul, man, to have this level of conversation. Yes, yeah, I, really I enjoyed it. Yeah, I'll let you know when that uh, hip hop track is out. Maybe we could. I want it, man. Come on. But just to tease it. So the, the idea is we're going to call it gangster ish. And it's going to be how, like, you know, how, like, a lot of, like, I don't know, like, white boys are into gangster rap and they kind of, like, yeah. That. So it's kind of, like, going to be puns about that. How, like, oh, really gangsters, great. but we, we, we play like that, you know? <laughs> Love it, man. Well, listen, thank you for coming on and we will be in touch. Cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Have a good day. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone.